great to have you with us. My name is Andy, if you missed that. And um, we're carrying on our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount over the last few weeks. If you'd like to uh, check those out, they're all online. You can uh, have a little listen to those. Um, a bit of an intro to it. We've had we've covered the Beatitudes. Uh, we've covered being salt and light in our communities. And today we're looking at the topic of righteousness, but the topic uh, surrounding the scripture, the law, um, how to live in the way of Jesus, how to follow him. And uh, this sermon series has been digging into Jesus's vision, his sort of manifesto of the kingdom of God. And today, um, I want to kick us off with a little bit of an icebreaker. We've already talked about summer holidays. We talked about focus. Uh, we're in, a little bit in the zone with our glasses and flowers around our necks. Um, but I, So I want to imagine that you're stuck on a desert island and you can only take one book. Um, you've got the works of Shakespeare and you've got the Bible with you, um, but you can only take one book. Turn to your neighbour um, and you've got 30 seconds to tell them what that book would be. Um, you're stuck on a desert island. You can only pick one book. You've got 30 seconds. If someone isn't near you, maybe shuffle up the row. Um, try and include everybody in this. Wonderful. Well, hopefully you've got one. It's, it's quite hard, isn't it? It's really hard. I don't think I'd be able to do it. Um, well... I'm guessing because you've already got the Bible, nobody said the Bible, but uh, what I would love to do is to talk about, um, I, I, I'm sure you've got some amazing examples. I think I said Lord of the Rings. Uh, I think there's a lot of depth in the Lord of the Rings that it might not, uh, it might last me a good while. I could probably keep pouring over it over and over again. Um, but I'd love to talk today about the books that I give you as a given within this, which is uh, the Bible. I'd love to talk about the Bible. And uh, when I talk about the Bible and we look at this scripture today, it might have been setting off a few different things in your mind as we read that. Perhaps um, for some of us, you might, be, you might already be quite passionate about the Bible and you might, be, you might read it every day and you might sort of uh, be kind of enthused by it and to, to sort of hear about it and to learn more about it. Uh, for some, perhaps you wished you had a bit more passion about it and you kind of feel like, oh, I should probably read that a bit more. Um, and um, for others, you might be thinking, well, actually, I, I don't really see a lot of value in it. I don't, I'm not entirely sure why I should read it or, or sort of put value in it. And um, I'd like to talk about how Jesus talks about the Bible and how Jesus talks about the scripture today. And, um, and I'd like to dig into how we should see the Bible and how it can help us live and follow Jesus in our daily lives. Now, growing up, um, I grew up uh, in, in, a, in a family where we were, we were a Catholic family, and, um, um, but I didn't really understand faith uh, growing up. I kind of felt like it was a, it was a little bit uh, kind of to make you feel guilty and make you feel uh, like actually you needed to be obedient, particularly to my teachers at school. I didn't really understand it. And um, I think I sort of assimilated the Bible with that, that the Bible was kind of great stories. Um, and, but I remember sort of hearing the story of Jesus and thinking, oh, well, Jesus, went through all this terrible stuff. Gosh, look how awful it was that he was crucified. And I should feel guilty about that. And so I did um, And uh, when I was growing up. And so I think I kind of inherited this sort of sense of, oh, I don't really know what to do with the Bible. And then when I became a Christian, and I realized um, later in life, when I was about 17, 18, that actually God, God wasn't a, a God that wanted me to feel guilty um, or controlled. He wanted me to feel free and forgiven and hopeful. And then I thought, well, 
what do I do with the Bible then? Where does this fit in in my life? How do I understand this? And I think for some, it's like, I get Jesus and I understand Jesus, but I don't understand all the rest of the stuff that's in the Bible. And I've heard Jesus is a really great guy. He's really loving and merciful. I don't really understand these other parts. What about the bits that I don't disagree, uh, that I disagree with? Or what about the bits that actually I, I'm not really sure if I believe? What do I do with these things? Well, this is where the followers of Jesus were at the time of Jesus. They were questioning, what about the teachings that we've inherited in light of Jesus being in their midst, the God of love? And they were saying, well, what are you going to do with all of the laws and all the stuff that we do in our religious life now that you're here? Are you going to abolish it? Are you going to get rid of it? Or are you going to adhere to it? Are you going to sort of follow it? And he says something sort of quite profound. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So he says, no, I'm not come to do that. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Which is something slightly different. And it kind of turns this a little bit on their head for the hearers. That actually... Whether, God was, whether Jesus was going to say, yes, I believe in all this stuff and you have to follow all these rules, or whether he was going to say, no, I'm going to throw them all away. He kind of said, no, I've got a new way, a new way of seeing, a new way of interpreting these rules and these, uh, these scriptures, these laws and scriptures. What was Jesus talking about? Well, he was talking about the Old Testament. He was talking about the law and the prophets, talking about the Torah and uh, those, those prophetic books that we see and we now call the Old Testament um, that were, were sort of given uh, mainly to Moses, those first five books of the Bible, uh, given to Moses as guidelines to sort of correct living. Um, but within that, there was also how people should live a sort of Jewish religious life. Um, they would be shown how, what sacrifices they would have to make um, to sort of make atonement uh, with God to uh, in the sacrificial system, what things should be given up in the temple for them to be at peace with God. And, uh, but there was one thing that's really quite particular about this time that we need to understand for this to make sense to us, is that as Jesus was um, talking about the scripture and the law, he was also talking about, um, there was so many people at the time who, who felt like this was so important that they had to write sort of additional guidelines to the Old Testament, additional laws, additional things that would help people sort of clarify those sort of bits that they didn't quite get. So for example, the the Ten Commandments, one of them is the Sabbath. So, you know, that we should honour the Sabbath. And so what they did was they they wrote lots of sort of supplementary rules to say how you should follow the Sabbath, to sort of make, try and make it easier for people. So it's kind of like, well, therefore to do the Sabbath correctly, you've got to make sure you cook at seven o'clock the night before, and you've got to do this, this, and this, and this. and and then do this, this, and this, this, and this, to make it work. And their heart was to abide by the letter of the law completely. And so his answer to the law is, no, I'm not getting rid of it. And But he wasn't saying we are going to carry on with all of these other bits and bobs that people have thrown in and were adhering to at the time. These little extra bits on guidelines of how to live. 
Because actually what was going on was these communities, these, uh, these they sort of, he calls them teachers of the law, sometimes it's called scribes, um, they, would, they would kind of come up with their own sort of philosophies of how best to carry out the law. And so uh, what, he was, what he would say, what, he was, what they would say to other people was, well, I'm from this school of thinking about the law and my, my way of seeing it is superior to your way of seeing it. And you're not, you know, the, in fact, there's a few times where um, the Pharisees, uh, a, a sort of community that probably Jesus was actually quite closely linked with, if I'm brutally honest, um, was, uh, was um, they call out Jesus and they say, your disciples are picking corn on the Sabbath. And we all kind of know that a little bit, don't we? Where, and, uh, where he says, well, you know, what was Sabbath made? Sabbath was made for man, um, not man for the Sabbath. And he kind of flips it on his head um, because they're, they're sort of calling out, well, work you know working on the sabbath even picking corn is work even if it's to nourish you and so they were thrown in extra rules to help people and jesus was saying no 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 your your the laws are contr- you're you're using the laws you're pleasing the laws rather than god who who are these about what is the heart of these laws are they not about following them to the letter it's about god behind it and so he rejects those sort of scribal traditions, those extra bits. And he sort of realigns it. Um, and he wants to help people not sort of feel controlled um, by it, but actually liberated by it. That people wouldn't see obedience to the law as the sort of limit to, to their kind of faith, but actually as a sort of springboard for them to follow God, to love God, to be obedient to God. And um, so, and for those in the New Testament, those that in the time of Jesus, Jesus was saying to them, I am going to fulfill the laws, give you a new way of seeing the laws that can help you to be obedient to God, to love God, but not worship the laws themselves, if you know what I mean. But that uh, didn't stop um, the Marcionites, who were an early Christian uh, group. That they followed a guy called Marcion, um, and he, he had a huge community um, of Christians who basically said, well, I don't really like the Old Testament. I'm not, I can understand Jesus, and I love the new scriptures, but I want to get, I, I think we're going to stop using the Old Testament. So they detached Jesus from the Old Testament. And so they sort of went away with it. They kind of got rid of it. And are kind of against what Jesus says here, that he isn't going to abolish the law. And um, it's almost like sometimes there's these tricky bits in scripture that we just can't quite get our heads around. And the temptation is to think, well, maybe actually we want to worship Jesus who, who is detached from those things. But Jesus right here says, no, uh, the, the law doesn't control me, but also you don't control the law by being in me, if that makes sense. And this has been happening um, for years since, that we've been trying to get our heads around the scriptures. And, um, but Jesus says in verse 18, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Um, the, there's a little word that comes up uh, in a sort of more kind of really sort of 
intricate translations where they say jot and tittle. Um, in, if you have the King James Version, it'll say no, neither a jot nor a tittle um, will we'll go from the scripture. And they're talking about uh, a letter, the smallest letter in the Hebrew Bible is, is yot or jot, um, which you can see it in the letter Yahweh is the first letter. Um, and, um, but there is, there is this sense that um, it's this kind of little comma that's kind of a tiniest thing. But then on the comma is the tiniest little inflection on the letter, which is a, which is a tittle, um, a tiniest, tiniest bit. So he's saying not even a letter or even a stroke of a letter, the tiniest bit of a letter will be lost. It'll all be important. It'll all be held within God. And I don't know about you, but sometimes um, when we, we, we did our favourite uh, books, um, I'm sure you've all got favourite TV series. Um, I don't know, imagine, maybe not everybody. Um, some people still don't have TVs. Kudos to you. Well done. Um, but um, there might be some series. One of our favourite TV series is The American Office. Um, any American Office fans in the house? Come on. Um, we love The American Office. It's very, very funny, but not season one. Season one is terrible. Um, and probably the last season is not so great either. But everything in between, gold. I wish sometimes that we could just get rid of season one and probably the last season where Andy's in charge um, and, we'll get, you know, I can, and just keep the middle bits. That's the best bit. That's the bit that really matters. But you know what? I can't really get rid of those things because they set up some of the storyline in those things. And actually, there's quite important things that happen within those things. Well, you know what? We can't, you know, I'm being a little, making a little bit of a joke, but we can't really do that with the scripture. It's a, it's a collection of books. It's not one book. The, the, the Bible, uh, Biblos, the word, comes from a, the idea of a library. It's a library of books sort of crammed into one book. And so when we talk about the Bible, we're not talking about one book that you start at the beginning and you finish at the end. You're talking about a collection of scriptures from all over um, the, the sort of uh, Middle East of people who have been uh, inspired by God in lots of different ways, and have written uh, texts that help us know God. And um, I I love what Jesus says in, in verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly. So you can note that that's a bit of a jab at those teachers saying, actually, if you, if you set these aside, I'm, I'm watching you. Um, and teaches those others accordingly. They will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We have to practice and teach and carry out the scripture. We have to take it as important, as it's authoritative, as truthful. Take the Bible to having supreme value. I don't know if anybody watched the king's coronation. Um, did, anyone watch the king's coronation? Yeah, a few people. Um, kudos to you. It's pretty long um, and very Anglican. I'm an Anglican, um, but there was a lot of scripture, a lot of scriptures, a lot of conversation, a lot of liturgy. Hopefully, you held it. But there was one amazing moment where Charles has just been what's the word? Coronated? No, that's chicken. Um, crowned. That's the one. Crowned. Um, has just been crowned, and and the first thing that happens to him is someone gives him the Bible. And says, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. The most valuable thing that this world affords. That this book has value, supreme value. 
Now, I am... Um, I, my, my faith story I, I shared a little bit. One of the things that happened when I was about 18, 19 um, was I decided to change my course. And I was about to do a university degree in economics and decided I, I, I actually, I want to do something more. I want to learn more about God. And um, so I decided to change my course to biblical studies in Sheffield. And uh, Sheffield is a, a great city, love the place, part of an amazing church, great uni, lots and lots of fun. Um, the biblical studies department in Sheffield was particularly uh, a sort of secular institution. It, it isn't a sort of theological college as such. And there's people from all sorts of faith backgrounds, um, from, some, from no faith to Christian to, to, to Jewish to Muslim, lots and lots of different people there. Uh, and it's, it's sometimes a quite, a, actually quite a challenging and almost negative place to, to look into uh, the Bible. And into theology. And so I did a biblical studies degree, which is effectively a history of the Bible, a history of, of that time. And, um, and you know what? In, I remember so often, uh, and, and I, won't, I don't want to sort of talk badly about my old department, um, but there was hidden biases that as an 18, 19, well, as a 19-year-old, I didn't really see until I kind of came out the other end and somehow survived. Um, but I started to realise um, while I was there, that we very much were coming from a different perspective on the Bible. And, but one of the things that was uh, awoken in me was some questions about the Bible. And we've all got them in lots of different ways. But the, particularly for me, there was a moment I remember in my first year where we were looking at other creation stories, the ideas of who created the world. And, and actually, there was some interesting things where the creation stories that we've inherited in the Bible have some similarities with other creation stories of the time. Um, some real differences as well, huge differences, um, but also some sort of interesting things like, oh, well, maybe, they, maybe I just need to throw this all out then. Maybe this doesn't make sense. If, if those creation stories are the same, maybe they've all made them up. And I just thought, well, what do I do? And I started to unpack my faith and kind of actually just tear it apart a little bit. And I remember just getting to this point where I was like, I don't even know what I think anymore. What do I even think about this? And then I remembered, I was like, actually, I, I know that I've experienced something of God in my life. And I know that Jesus was a real person. That is, you know, we, we know that there is sort of historical uh, proof of that. And so there's, there's things that we can hinge our faith on. And we know that Jesus was a real person who walked in this world. So therefore, what do I do now? Do I, do I just throw it all out? Well, I say, like, no, I, I believe that God has moved in my life and I've seen him and known him and experienced him. What do I do with this historical person of Jesus? And it was from that person, Jesus, that I could build back up my view on the scripture, that I could realise that actually he was the person that it was all about. And actually those things about sort of the origins of, of how things were formed, some of that we will never quite know what happened when they wrote, um, wrote, the, uh, wrote these books of the Bible. Genesis in particular, we're never going to know. We're never going to be able to meet the people that put this to paper. They used to pass it on orally. So it used to be that they would say things and they would remember them. And then the next person would hear that and say them to the next person and they would pass it on orally. We don't have it written down in the way that we have it today because of the printing press. We don't have those forms. We have, um, if you want to want to find out more, do check out the second week of Alpha. You can find out all the different things about um, how the Bible, how the sci scientists have applied historical criticism to the Bible and textual criticism to understand actually what the Bible originally said. But um, 
a, a lot of how it was formed has been lost to us. And I mean, one particular question that bamboo, bamboozles a lot of people around creation is evolution. Where does evolution fit into it? And I, I'm going to throw some bombs up in the air for us. And hopefully you can stick with us, stay with us. We're in this together, no matter if we, di- if we differ on opinion. Um, and so people will say, well, is, is, is creation in six days and, or, and one rest day? Or is it six ages? Or is it, um, or is it kind of actually nothing like that? And it's, you know, evolution over time. And how would God work in all of this stuff? And to it, I just say, yes, it's true. It's true. It's all true. Genesis is true. But how do we figure out what does that mean? And I think the key thing to us that sometimes is lost is that acknowledgement that the books of the Bible are of different genres. They're of different natures. We have to know them deeply to understand them. It's not, we can't always take a bare, a sort of instant reading. Yes, there's some good, I think, in going to the Bible and and reading it and let it speak to us. Um, But that's what's sort of known as like a fundamentalist view of the Bible. It's this idea that we will just read it and take it. What we, 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 we are, I would like to say that I'm a sort of evangelical and I'm not a fundamentalist. Um, so I will read the scripture, but I want to understand what is it saying to us? What's the sort of meaning? Because there are layers and layers. And some of the, some of the genres we have in the text are some of them historical accounts. So some of them are written as history. It's like, this is what happened. I'm going to write this down. For others, they're eyewitness accounts, things that they've seen personally. We see that a lot in the Gospels. Um, some are letters to people. Some are sort of from this prophetic tradition, or apocalyptic is another word for it. We have poems, and we have all sorts of different things in the Bible. And each one is to be treated in the, in the way that it's intended, that it's intended, its heart behind it, so that we can get to know it deeper, to understand it more. So going back to your Desert Island book, what genre was it? Romance, thriller, um, fantasy. I chose Lord of the Rings as a sort of, you know, a fantasy novel. And for some, we understand that there is this historical truth to the scriptures. And that's really important for us because they are books in history to us. But in others, they use very metaphorical imagery. We look at, you know, the books of Song of Songs or in Proverbs that, you know, there is so much metaphor in that. And even, I mean, you know, when we talk about uh, the elephant in the room of, of, the, of evolution, of creation, um, I, you know, there is, a, there is quite a lot of metaphorical language. There is a tree of knowledge in it, and there is a tree of life in it. Um, there is things that almost actually are sort of conceptual. And you can ask me what I think about Genesis and think about evolution, uh, if you'd like to, another time. Um, But I don't think we can always mean just because we don't see it as historical um, that it needs to be thrown away. There is truth to it. And, um, you know, what we do with Jesus and we see in this passage is that he doesn't throw anything out. He doesn't want to lose anything in the scripture. He affirms it and holds it. And for us, we do the same. We hold the Bible 
as the main authority in our lives. Um, Andrew Wilson says this, this, I love this quote, our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love him and I've decided to follow him. So if he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful and powerful, I will too. Even if some of my questions remain unanswered or my answers remain unpopular. And so how do we understand what role the Bible should play in our lives? How do we read it? We've got, we, we know that it's important. We don't want to get rid of any of it. But then how do we know what it means? What does it mean? Um, my, my sister, she, um, growing up, so she has quite a strong prescription in her glasses. And I remember this story that my mum um, has told me. Um, when she was little, she um, didn't wear glasses because when you're a toddler, you don't really know what's going on um, in terms of vision. Um, and when she eventually was given glasses and she put them on, um, there was this moment where they were blowing bubbles. And she said, I can see the colours on the bubbles. Um, and she said, isn't it so beautiful, mummy? Um, because she could, she'd never been able to see the sort of, you know, illum- what's the word, uh, luminescent uh, colouring on the bubbles before because um, it had been a blur to her before then. And I, it, I think there's something about scripture that, is a little bit like that lens that we, when we put on, perhaps not our um, electric guitar glasses. Um, it's a little bit like a lens when you need it um, to see properly. And the lens that we have for the Bible is Jesus. Jesus is the lens. He is the key to interpretation, the way that we can see and understand these texts. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. How are we to surpass those that knew exactly how to sort of hold to these laws, all the ins and outs, all the thinking around it? Well, we've got the key. The key is Jesus, the one who helps us to live lives of obedience to him. He's the one who helps us, who directs us. And so the next part of the passage, the rest of chapter five, I'd encourage you to read it, um, is Jesus saying, well, this is the way that I see the scripture. This is what I, how I want to unpack these things. And he talks about um, anger slash murder, lust, divorce, oaths, revenge, love. And he puts them in his perspective of what he sees. And at the end of it, he gives this massive challenge, which I love. And, and Niall uh, sort of mentioned in his uh, sort of introductory sermon is that he challenges, says, be like God, who is perfect. Be like God, who is perfect. Or well, how do we know what God looks like and what, what he's like? It's Jesus. We follow him. He is the key. And so he's come to fulfill the scriptures. He's come to put them in their place to be understood in a way that helps us to know how to live, to follow him. They can't be sort of distilled into principles or virtues. Uh, Quite often we say God is love. 
But love isn't the cornerstone of how we interpret scripture. Jesus is the cornerstone of how we interpret scripture. He's the foundation of our faith. He's the dictionary that defines what love is. He's the Jesus in his completeness revealed in the scripture to us. So as the church together, we follow Jesus. We apply our minds to the text our hearts to the text, to the scripture. And we submit to his will so that we can know him and grow in him. There's been 2,000 years of conversation around these topics, of learning, of growing, of developing around the scripture. And we use critical scientific methods to understand what the meaning held in the text, the meaning intended by the authors, what it meant. And then we apply that lens, the way that we see everything, the lens of Jesus, a Christological view on scripture is the, is the term we use. And I, I love this little line from John Mark Comer where he says, scripture is how the authority of Jesus is mediated to his apprentices. It's like when we're following Jesus, just as he was sort of rebuking those other teachers, just as we follow Jesus, we we submit to his authority and we understand it and we try and learn from it. And it's in scripture that we can understand and and have it mediated to us. And I'd just love to give you some recommendations. You're probably thinking, okay, I vaguely understand. The Bible's important, but I don't really understand how to address it, how to get into it. And um, I'd love to just recommend two books. The first one is this um, by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. It's um, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Um, and it, what it does is it gives a bit of a breakdown, to, especially around genre, like how to understand and read these books. It's a little bit heavy. It's a little bit meaty, um, but not too bad. Like it, it's, it's, it's aimed at everyone. So I'd really recommend it. Um, and then the other one I'd love to recommend is this book by Pete Hughes called All Things New. Uh, and this is effectively an overview of the scripture, an overview of the biblical story to, so that when you come to read the scripture you'll have that sort of knowledge of the story of God so what you can apply that story of God to whatever you're reading and um, I'd really recommend it it's such an easy read it's a, a, th- a lovely lovely read uh, it's a great great book um, so do grab that it's called All Things New by Pete Hughes um, so those, that's two sort of ways that you can understand um, scripture but I'd also love to recommend um, scripture that's one thing that I'd love to recommend, reading. Um, there's, a, there's a great thing called Bible in One Year. It's now called The Bible with Nikki and Pippa Gumbel um, because it's Nikki and Pippa Gumbel who do the sort of devotionals alongside it. It is a Bible in one year, so you can do that. Um, but devotionals are a great way to understand scripture. It's a great way for somebody to just unpack it who's done the reading. Um, there's these books called Commentaries, um, which I'd recommend. They are sort of books written along. I wouldn't recommend all of them, but I'd recommend some of them. Um, and they, they go along the scripture to to give that background knowledge so that you can understand the meaning um, that's held within it and so we need to understand the scripture more to know Jesus more which in turn helps us to understand the scripture more um, to know him more if you know what I mean and so so how can we live a right life how can we get this right Well, we receive the gift of righteousness that is Jesus. Uh, A few weeks ago, I talked about how the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus. 
And all of this is about him. Our call is to follow him, to orientate our lives around him, to submit to him and to his word. And then in that, we learn about the grace that he has for us, that he loves us in every, everything that we are. He loves all of us in such a deep way that we could, couldn't possibly understand it. And so when we come to his scripture and we come to obeying his, his law, we know that we come from a point of grace. We come from a point of forgiveness, of love, of mercy. And neither a jot or a tittle of it will be gone. So should we stand? And I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that you are the great teacher who teaches us how to live a righteous life. And that way is just simply to follow, to submit and to call you Lord. And we thank you that we walk in your righteousness. And Father, as it, when we come to the scripture, we, we pray, Lord, for where we, we don't understand it and where we, don't, we can't get our heads around it. God, we pray that you would help us, that you would use your church, your community to support each other, to support us as we learn about it. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to us through it, that we would come closer to you through your word. And Jesus, I pray that today, as we, as we worship you, as we carry on in this service, God, I pray that you'd help us to know your grace, your love, your mercy, and to see the whole of your word through your story. I pray you'd send your spirit to reveal to us your truth through your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.